0: Maurice Podbury is one of the pioneers of English theatre in Montreal, co-founding Centaur Theatre in 1969, where he remained as artistic director until 1997. He returned to his native South Africa 14 years ago to form Mopo Cultural Trust, the company dedicated to the development of new theatrical talent. The Trust has completed over 35 productions during the past 12 years in all parts of the country. Morris is especially proud of his collaboration with Lara Foote-Newton and toured her play Chapang.
1: means hope.
0: Chapang, internationally. A member of the Order of Canada, Morris is also the recipient of an honorary doctorate from Concordia University. He divides his time happily between Cape Town and Montreal, which he continues to call home. Welcome to the Bibliophile. No, thank you. We're here in Montreal...
1: In midwinter.
0: Midwinter, and it's midsummer in Cape Town. Uh, Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) To talk about your uh, production of uh, Waiting for the Barbarians, the stage version of J.M. Kotsia's brilliant novel of the same name, why did you produce it? Why? I was approached
1: by Alexandra Marine, Sasha Marine, who's a Russian-born director whom I helped bring to Canada in ninety three, he and his family. They settled in Montreal and he did four or five major productions for me. We've become very close, in fact it's become my Russian family, which is good because my my family, my parents originate from near the Russian borders of Lithuania. So there's a certain kinship. And you know, he expressed this great admiration for the novel. ...and said that he had done a Russian adaptation, which he's hoping to take to Moscow... ...but that old project had been delayed. They had found the issues a bit too sensitive. Given Putin's climb to power in in, in Russia. And so that had all been postponed. So I said, well, it's only natural that you re-translate the play back into English... ...and we do it in Cape Town. I still had some funds from a, a lottery grant... That I'd managed to get, and um, so we—he came over, and brought his adaptation, which uh, could see us and his agent approved, and um, I staged it at. Uh, we cast the play in South Africa with eight actors. It would have been better to have had ten, but I could only afford eight. We did it with that—a very talented group—and uh, it played at the Baxter Theatre, which is Laura Foot's theatre. And it uh, was very well received, and then invited uh, to come to Montreal, to the Siegel Theatre, not, not the Centaur, interestingly. And uh, so we're here now.
0: Mm-hmm. Adapting the, the novel to the stage, was there anything about the timing of it? Are you tr- are you making a statement? No, um, uh,
1: some people have harkened back to the killing of Steve Biko, which was approximately at the time that the play was published, or mm-hmm. the novel was published. No, I don't think there's any particular timing. As for the, the story, seems to be prophetic enough to uh, to be timely in every <laughs> in every time and place.
0: The reason for that question is what's happening now in south africa after mandela's uh, time in office and the f- zuma having taken over and mm. uh, some of the same old questions of of corruption mm. and uh, the fact that nothing's really improved
1: oh no i wouldn't agree with that at all i think we've changed the country fundamentally But there are great issues still, which we have not yet solved. I mean, the country is barely 15, 17 years old, and we've taken a country destroyed uh, psychologically and materially by the apartheid regime, and trying to rebuild it from the ground up with a collection of leaders who are not skilled in administration or in governance, uh, with enormous financial challenges and uh, communal differences within South Africa. So we've really got our hands full there in terms of rebuilding, but the rebuilding has gone on, and some achievements have been marked. But we're we're a ways yet from being satisfied with where we've come. I don't see it as as uh, as deeply disappointing at all. I, in fact, I I'm very critical of people who have left the country and then say it's a you know, place where white South Africans can no longer live.
0: Mm-hmm. They live
1: very well, in fact, in South Africa. They've retained every privilege that they had before. They're now sharing.
0: I think that's part of the concern, though, among the black population. Well,
1: so. indeed, I can see their concern. and
0: uh, Nothing's changed. It's well, just that's the, not
1: uh, true. There's a middle class that has risen up now and has done very well, and there's access to education and... and um, there's mobility, there's no past laws anymore, and one can travel abroad if one can get the opportunity, and, and uh, there is respect now shared across the racial lines, and, and uh, discrimination is banned legally. Is, uh, so, yeah, there are lots of things that are happening that we're trying to reconjure a new society. I think Mandela is more interested in, in creating a new partnership uh, at the time of change than in reconstructing the economy and I think we're paying a price for that mm. where overseas interests and major, major uh, white-speaking interests still dominate the economy and uh, uh, we've had a lot of issues connected to that there have been strikes there have been the killings on the mines that was a, a dark moment for us and... Uh, Service deliveries across the country, which are enormously difficult, and we don't have the talent, the attempt to try and promote uh, blacks to, to positions of office, to which obviously on many occasions they're not equipped, not educated into, and so... The people suffer, the people who are due to receive help, are the sufferers. Mm. So that cycle has got to be worked on and built on and broken and rebuilt. Maybe
0: what I'll do at this point is just read a quick synopsis of the play and then then follow from that. Mm. Set in a sleepy frontier town on the edge of an unnamed empire, waiting for the barbarians is told from the perspective of the magistrate, a local civil servant living in tranquility, when the report of threat from the barbarians who inhabit the uncharted desert beyond the border caused the government to declare a state of emergency, the military launches a campaign to capture these enemies. As the magistrate bears witness to the cruel acts of violence perpetrated in the name of defense of the empire while forming a relationship with a young barbarian girl, he is faced with whether or not to intervene. The idea of the barbarians and the fact that it may as well be something in your mind as in reality, this might, from the part of the white population, refer to the threat of a black uprising used by the state to justify its activities during apartheid.
1: Well, during apartheid, the the threat of a communist uprising Communist alliance in fact the was one of the major psychological weapons that the government used and I think in fact it was the collapse of the Soviet Union that allowed negotiations to take place in the first in the first place so that threat is yeah and power those in power use that threat of the other whatever that threat implies whether it's a threat to our language to our culture to our lives to our opportunities to our material welfare they use that threat to to coalesce to bring uh, the population together, to create a unified opposition to the enemy and this is a common occurrence, whether it's in Central Africa calling uh, your neighbours cockroaches or calling Zimbabwean immigrants to South Africa today interlopers who are taking our work and our women away from us and uh, it recurs, it goes on and on Very interestingly, I first came across the Origins of the whole concept, My wife and I were traveling around the Black Sea. We were in Odessa, and I read a marvelous book called Black Sea, and it traced the history of that notion of barbarians back to the Greek settlements, where they encountered the nomadic tribes from the east, who eventually did settle around the Black Sea, in fact, did very well and prospered and integrated themselves. but nevertheless, it was a something that the Greeks used to designate those who do not speak Greek and then allow themselves to exploit. It's a notion that the Romans inherited, Mm -hmm. which European powers inherited in their conquest of Asia and Africa and South America, Mm -hmm. and which we have absorbed now into our psychology, having grown up, having benefited from imperialism and colonialism as white people. We've also absorbed the notion of the other, of the barbarian, and it's very easily brought to the fore. And yes, the journey of the magistrate in this play is an exemplar of that. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's doing well. He thinks he's acting under the best motives, but uh, what is he really doing? What is his desire to understand this black girl who's a representative of the barbarians? What is the motivation there? Is he trying to tear her apart in his need to understand her just on a par with the torturers. And so uh, it's a deeply, deeply psychological study as well, very like the Russian writers of whom Kutsir is fond, you know. Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky, and uh, it's interesting in that case of how Sasha is from Russia Mm. and I'm from Africa and how we brought our common experiences, I think, to play in this uh, production.
0: Right. Well, Coetzee wrote the man from St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg yeah. didn't yeah. Yeah. yeah, a very fine little book, yeah. The magistrate then decides to take the young girl yeah. back to her people mm. and then, in a way, hopes to give her freedom so that she, out, out of free will, will choose to come back to him. Mm. And as a result of that, he is accused of consorting with the enemy. Yeah. And is tortured, so... But but
1: he's also tortured by the memory of the girl. So these dual punishments or whatever are obsessing him to a degree that almost destroys him, the end of which normality is seemingly restored, but uh, what is his understanding? And at the end, he admits to difficulty in being maybe a bit older, maybe a little bit wiser, but not, not yet Fully understanding of himself. The journey is without end, it seems. And that seems to characterise Kutsir's writings. The journeys always seem to be without end. But then that's my experience of returning to South Africa. My journey is without end. The fact that it's a journey that is interesting, fascinating, is um, reward enough,
0: in my case. It's uh, interesting how prostitutes play large in his work. He yes. You can't not read meaning into whatever he does in his writing. So, for example, the, his relationship with women is uh, or is his lead characters, or in this case, the magistrate. He only knows how to pay for sex. And when he tries to establish what a more loving human relationship with the uh, the black girl, it's almost a fetish. He's fetishizing her, the washing of her feet and her body, but he can't consummate it. Uh, I just wonder if there's some sort of connection there between how imperialists relate to (laughs) their colonies.
1: Well, it's open to all that type of, uh, you know, conjecture. Heaven alone knows, I mean could she would have to go through deep psychoanalysis for to us to fully understand where he's coming from. But I think the purpose of the prostitute is to set up a, a fairly easy male-female relationship against which you see the the difficulty of his relationship to the barbarian girl, that uh, it's anything but easy, it's anything but straightforward. Uh, he thinks he can care for her, He but at the same time he's intrigued by her, her opaqueness and uh, that suddenly becomes a challenge to him and suddenly he can see himself in the role of the torturer and, and then he finally does fall in love with her but it's too late, she's gone back to her people and he thinks he loves her and so her memory recurs during all his years of torture. It's
0: almost an incomplete relationship,
1: isn't it? Well, yes, it's never finalized. And she rejects him at the end, saying, you're a false lover, a false seducer. And he says, well, why didn't you tell me? If you want to love me, you must learn somewhere else. It's enigmatic. That's the things that frustrate Kutsir right readers, is this enigma that he throws across our paths. It gives us cause, gives us a way to do a lot of self-examination, but at the end of it, it remains uh, an open issue. And uh, that's frustrating. That's but even...
0: It's kind of a standard, if not absurdist, than uh, Beckettian... Well, I think
1: uh, all great writing is, is characterized by this open-endedness. We, we don't know everything about everybody, and we can't.
0: And it's frustrating. It is frustrating. It, to a
1: degree, it is frustrating. But, you know, you can't occupy another person's soul. You cannot. And so we'll always be... Our own children, our own partners—we we can never fully understand them. And and any writer who attempts to do that, I think, is being banal and being simplistic. Mm. Trouble is that in Gutierrez's case, it's even it's thrown in our face a bit because uh, you know he's so challenging in one respect, yeah. and then so discreet mm. in another. Mm. Uh, at least other people have the decency to 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 <laughs> to hide that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know if decency
1: is the right word. Consideration. Um, I mean, um, even the Dostoevsky novels, you don't end up thinking, I don't understand this man's self-examination. You understand his need for under- self-understanding, and that is sufficient. But in Kutsia, it's not sufficient. You think that the challenge has been thrown back onto us, and that we're, at, we're in some sense inadequate to the challenge. And that's mm-hmm. what people feel, and that's why they feel frustrated and feel that he is exploiting or using us uh, to advantage. Uh, And then he writes his own self-challenging novels, you know, and who is Kutsir, what are his shortcomings, and and I suppose this is meant to tell us that uh, we're all in the same boat.
0: He's basically saying something similar about the the writing process. Mm. How do you convey a, a realism within a, something that's, that's coded, that's language. Yeah. Well,
1: he's a marvellous marvelous writer.
0: A lot of academic writing is impenetrable and it has no redeeming features. Coetzeeus has this beautiful poetic surface that invites thought, mm-hmm. engagement and awe. There are parts of disgrace that are like a smooth flowing, you <laughs> know, wheat field in the sun. There's just a beauty to it that keeps you there, but you just know that there's many different things going on underneath. Yeah.
1: I mean, Lurie's acceptance of his daughter's fate is so horrifying to many South Africans, you know. Athol Fugard was outspoken about that. He thought that was a disgrace in itself. One would accept the rape of one's daughter, you know.
0: But the fact that he wouldn't revenge it?
1: That he would not revenge it, yes, 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 yes. So that was some type of normal expectation. Mm. That was something... uh, But, you know, the challenge to be a, a South African... Which is, I suppose, the journey that I've tried to undertake since returning. is phenomenally difficult. I spend part of every week in Kailicha, which is one of the black townships on the outskirts of Cape Town. I help manage a football club there, and I spend a good part of my my week there. And uh, I was I was beaten up once. Someone trying to a group of young men trying to steal my car which they did not do, I'm proud to say. So I've been through my South African experience or two, so the challenge of, of living there and trying to understand it is phenomenal. Mm. Very, very difficult, but it's so exciting. Yeah. The journey itself is so exciting.
0: It is a country that's, that that you sense that it's really alive. When oh, you're you there, step don't off the you? plane and, and the air
1: suddenly comes alive around me. It, it's
0: extraordinary. Mm. It really, I'm not sure why, but well, there's a, a kind of a, a natural tension or something.
1: A, a spring in the foot and a spring in the air. <laughs> it's uh, incredible. My daughter yeah. says I step off the plane and I change utterly. You know, my language changes. I my strip off my clothes. I, I become a different person,
0: yeah.
1: and uh, I feel this connectedness very deeply and powerfully. It, it's uh, it's marvelous. And the answer to the sort of um, whinging that goes on among whites, often, you know, I understand if someone has suffered an outrage that they cannot deal with and they want to protect themselves or their children, I understand that, but often it's simply a difficulty or reluctance to, to enter into the challenge of the new south africa mm-hmm. and um, what
0: about the fear of losing their property though that well, that what, lo- what
1: like. loss is there they've everybody's retained their property they've retained their servants their cars their they have a passport now that's welcome around the world they have an ex-president who's the closest thing to a messiah since king david stepped to walk the earth what the hell are they complaining about their football teams they their rugby teams there. Cricket teams play everywhere, and we are a sports-mad country. Mm-hmm. There is a price to pay in, in the adjustment and the reconciliation and the violence that still persists and so on, but, my God, I mean, why would one want to go and live anywhere else? I can't, I can't imagine, especially Australia.
0: So the level of fear, is, that's what this play is about, too. It's about playing on fear... And uh, exploiting fear.
1: Yes, by the authority, but the magistrate is not afraid. He's not afraid to get involved. He sees an outrage, he sees a challenge, he commits himself to it. But then he wants to understand that commitment.
0: Well, yeah, it's funny, though, he doesn't want to consummate his relationship. It's, again, it's about, you know, the writer's role. Well, he
1: has a taste of that just before she leaves him. She does offer herself to him, and that's a moment of euphoria. But it's short-lived, and she's gone, and uh, she remains just uh, a memory that recurs and recurs and uh, sees him through in a way to the end. So it's a type of solace, a type of uh, reward. But uh, without end, yeah, without end.
0: Perhaps you could talk a bit about the play itself then. Uh, differences between the novel, similarities, And are there different messages that the director and adapter is trying to? No, I don't
1: think so. Yeah. I think he's been he's, his his attempt is to be as honest as possible to the novel, which he claims to be the great novel of the twentieth century. And so he has the utmost respect for it, and uh, would like to think that he's done a very Honest dramatization. And yeah, Kutsia has, uh, has approved it. Has he, he approved the script, he hasn't seen it. His agent no. has been to Cape Town yeah. and here and has said good things about our work, so that's as close as we've got to Kutsia. Right. No, I, I'm full of admiration for what Sasha has done, uh, trying to bring these different levels of experience into a stage production. Which is very, very different from a novel. Yeah. I mean, its structure, basically, is so different from the structure of a novel. And how do you transfer one to the other?
0: Especially when the novel, at one level, is about writing the novel.
1: Mm. All right. So the self-consciousness that pervades the novel is not a very welcome thing on the stage. You know, there are not many Hamlets who can survive through self-examination and soliloquy. But that is the challenge in this particular adaptation. It's very difficult. Uh, I respect the efforts and what they've done with it.
0: It's an homage in in one sense. I guess,
1: but Uh, I'm not driven by homages. I want to see something which the audience will receive and benefit from. That's my objective.
0: Did you have any role at all in the writing of it?
1: Not really. I mean, I was able to read it and comment, and some little adaptations, adjustments were made, but no, I think 90% of it is really Sasha's doing. He and his son, who did the music, yeah. So I'm happy with it. The performance levels come and go. I think it's an extremely difficult thing to maintain at, at its best point. I think on opening night we achieved something which I think was very close to that best, but... It does come and go a bit.
0: Yeah, and interesting too, the magistrate's character. Uh, you know. I've felt in the novel uh, a bit more uh, sort of sympathy toward the character than I did okay. while watching the performance. It's also interesting, too, how the actor made the character look wooden, like he had braces on his legs. I don't know if that stuck in my mind.
1: Ah, that fatty stiffness, which I've noticed.
0: I mean, I'm assuming that's an interpretation no, of the that's character. Not, no,
1: no, not at all. Something that's crept into his performance.
0: That very much influenced the way that I was able or not able to connect and relate and sympathize ah. with the character. Well,
1: I'll see if I can share that thought with him, and maybe he can do something about it. Hmm. Again,
0: just my interpretation, but it's so interesting. Oh, but some it? of you are recognized yeah. you say it. The, girl, the character of the girl, is she's very spirited, isn't she? There might have been a difference, and it's been a while since I read the novel, Mm. but I I didn't see... Perhaps that's a statement as well, though, from the actor, that Mm. this is how I'm going to portray.
1: Again, that varies a bit, but that outspokenness, that strength, is is something that she plays with a bit. She's a person of strong feelings about uh, the background in South Africa. It came out in the interview on Sunday. She spoke quite forcibly about that, about apartheid and her... Her observations since then and whether South Africa has in fact moved forward and so on. So she's a person of strong feelings. So she would not probably play it neutrally. Is she? Yes,
0: the use of the walls that were transparent mm-hmm. and again that kind of washing theme was was beautifully done.
1: How did you find Colonel Joll's interpretation?
0: I thought he was very good. He you played it very confidently. You
1: didn't so. mind that type of insinuation, that, that almost sexual...
0: It didn't bother me, no, the kind of sad. Saddles... didn't sacrifice
1: menace, though, uh, in your mind? The,
0: the, now that you bring it up, it might have been... Because he was... had
1: his sidekick, he had the bad cop, you know, with yes. him. <laughs> to do the dirties.
0: And there was also a kind of a little bit of a flirtatious thing going on yeah. with one of his assistants. I don't think it detracted, no. Okay, but, good. Uh, that's something you noticed that... No, it's uh,
1: something that the author, the actor, developed... With the approval of the director, but it's not something that you would expect. It's far from a conventional interpretation. But the
0: the director was delighted, and uh, he allowed this to grow and uh, so. Yeah, the that's of course the interesting thing is that the actors will bring their interpretations to the stage, won't they? Absolutely. In a way that you won't see in a a novel, because the, the the novelist is God.
1: Yes, and you know, in South Africa, we have. I think a very talented pool of performers and they bring a lot of strength of their own to bear whatever you rehearse and the African aesthetic of storytelling is very rich and it's capable of using dance and song and movement and anything in the telling of the narrative and they use it seamlessly and very open fashion and that is a dynamic which if the director can accommodate will add enormously to the production.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I did a show earlier in the year which uh, took that to another height. In fact, we did a show about World War I and the loss of uh, 600 black South African conscripts to the British Army in a sinking in the English Channel. And um, that used the whole strength and challenge of, England, of African storytelling to a marvellous degree. Uh, we did that in Cape Town and... Uh, been invited to go around the world with it now.
0: You have decided to maintain your strong connection with South Africa, and Coetzee mm. has not.
1: I just presume it's uh, materially helpful to him. Some people need a bit of our distance, and some people don't. I don't think it's helped Fugard in his move from South Africa to America, and his writing since then, I don't think it's helped him much. I don't know how this will work out in Coetzee's case. We will see. But he's travelled a lot and lived in many places, so I guess he's used to it now. If Ezra Pound is one of his heroes, uh, is could, he? Well, he said as one of it was one of the big influences in his life, Eliot and Ezra Pound. And uh, Pound lived in Italy for most of his life and managed to write. So I guess Scutia is equally able to do that. Good luck to him.
0: The emergency measures that have been brought in in the United States, for example, to, to combat terrorism and, and these kinds of measures. This play points a spotlight on demonizing the other in ways that uh, are not healthy to
1: uh, Yes, uh, I would freedom just. And yeah, I would say, however, that 9 11 was not an imagined outrage. A very real outrage and needed response, uh, and how they've managed to do so has been uneven. <clears throat> I don't think it's it's a it's a one-sided situation there at all. I think terrorism is alive and well in this world and uh, is bringing pain and suffering to as many people as uh, any 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 side of the conflict. But yes, you always have to be on the watch, and Kudsiya is certainly. Reminding us to be observant and sensitive to these things and keep, keep our, um, our thin veneer of civilization as intact as we possibly can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you uh, got any other projects in Hopper that you'd like to leave well, us with?
1: Well, no. Laura Foote in South Africa is writing a new piece, which will be the final offering under the lottery grant which I got. And it's going to be I think, located in Central Africa, so we'll see what that comes up with. It's wide open at the moment, so there'll be another project there. Uh, I'm hoping to somewhat lessen my, my, my uh, commitment. I think my memory is not quite up to the challenge as it was wont to be. And my uh, need to be with the family in Canada has grown uh, since I've lost my sister and brother in South Africa. It's a bit more lonely, so I need to spend more time here. But I'll never totally forsake South Africa. I don't think I could possibly do that.
0: Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. I've been speaking with Maurice Podbury, who is one of the pioneers of English theatre in Montreal, co-founding the Centaur Theatre in 1969, and more recently forming the Mopo Cultural Trust, a company dedicated to the development of new theatrical talent in South Africa. Thanks again.